0: Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 13. Jesus had been announcing regularly that he was going to need to lay down his life as a. I would hand. uh, But actually, even resisted it, uh, argued with him, saying no, Lord, forbid it, Lord, no, this cannot happen, and did not process and make a part of their understanding that Jesus was serious that he was going to lay down his life. He told them that he once more, for the last time, wanted to celebrate uh, the Passover uh, with them. And so, as he was wishing to point out that the Passover was fulfilled in him, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they were distracted. And distracted in the silliest way in which they were thinking, he's about to decide which one of us should have the best place in his kingdom. And they were competing among themselves as to which one of them deserved the best place. And so Jesus interrupted supper and demonstrated for them physically through an acted out parable what he was about to do when he laid himself down and gave his life as a ransom for us. I'm reading from John chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, meaning that his death is now imminent, and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. He not only loves us in the sense that he is willing in obedience to the Father's plan to give his life for us, but he is acting out quite visibly, his love for them during the supper. Verse 2, in supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. This was so shocking to the disciples that they could hardly believe that it would take place. Most of the disciples were submissive and let him do it, although they felt awkward and felt that this was inappropriate. But when he came to Simon Peter, the outspoken one among them, the one with the most natural gift of leadership, Peter objected and said, Lord, are you washing my feet? Never. No, this is wrong. And frankly, he was verbalizing what everybody in the room was thinking. Nobody thought this was the place for Jesus. And yet everyone couldn't understand, because it was going right over their heads, how it was that this was coming about. Let me read to you some cross-references, you needn't turn there. In Mark 9, verses 33 and 34, when Jesus was announcing His death, we read, Then He came to Capernaum, and when He was in the house, He asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they disputed among themselves as to who would be the greatest, meaning what place they would have in his coming kingdom. Go to Matthew, again, in the context of announcing that he would be crucified. This is Matthew 20, verses 20 through 24. You needn't turn there necessarily. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, just imagine this, getting mom involved, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said, what do you wish? She said, grant that these two sons of mine, they were called sons of thunder, but I think their mom had more thunder than even they did. Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with a baptism that I'm baptized with? Meaning suffering for sin, uh, being made sin on our behalf. They said, oh, we're able. And he said to them, you will and drink my cup and be baptism, baptized with a baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand or on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Now, the ten heard tell of Mom and the boys going and trying to make a a deal with Jesus, and they were hugely angry, thinking that they may have missed their chance. Now, lest you think that the supper had gone along smoothly, if we read Luke's account about what was happening during the supper, which is the celebration of the Passover, which is the symbolism of how a sacrifice is necessary to pay for sins, and that we need to be covered by the blood, and that the lamb in the Passover actually is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is that lamb for us. Luke writes in Luke 22, verse 24, "'Now there was also a dispute among them "'as to which of them should be considered the greatest.'" This is during the supper. "'And he said to them, "'The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, "'and those who exercise over authority over them "'are called benefactors, but not so among you. "'On the contrary, he who's the greatest among you, "'let him be as the younger, "'and he who governs as he who serves.'" For who's greater, he who sits at table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. But you are those who continue to be with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel, so stop fighting among yourselves, and concentrate on what we're doing here. This is Thursday night. When they leave this room, they're going to go up to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is going to pray. He is going to be arrested. They're going to flee for their their lives. And they're not paying attention because they're wondering, what can I get out of this? How can I... I gain position. I'm surely better than these people next to me. And it is incredulous that they would feel this way. Jesus Christ, who made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a bondservant, is having to strip down to look like a slave and go around to each one of them and wash their feet. It was picturing his whole ministry. It was what he wanted them to do to each other. Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? John 13, 7. Jesus answered and said to them, what I'm doing, you don't understand now. But you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my feet. Jesus said to him, he who's bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. The concept of being clean is the concept of having your sins forgiven. 11 of them had a genuine personal relationship with Jesus Christ, had entrusted themselves to him, had understood him as the promised Messiah, have come to understand that he truly is the son of God, and their sins were forgiven. And Jesus is saying, just like your feet need to be washed only, not your whole body, because you're already forgiven of your sins. You have personal relationship with me. This is true of all of you except one, Judas, who's not even saved at all. The washing of his feet is not only to teach them humility and service for one another, it is also to teach them the concept of how for family forgiveness they can come to him and he can cleanse them and restore that family kind of relationship. Revelation 1.5 speaks of how he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In 1 John 1, 1.7 we read, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin, present tense. And in verse 9 he goes on to say, if we have committed personal sins, we need to confess it before him. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. He is asking them to be willing to humble themselves rather than trying to exalt themselves. In fact, later on, Paul in 1 Timothy 5, when he's describing the requirements as to what kind of widow you would place on the widow's role for support by the church Paul lists the kind of woman who has washed the saints' feet. And I don't think he means that so much literally as he means that humbly has served others. It is exactly the opposite to argue among yourselves as to which place you deserve in the kingdom, where you should be sitting at the table, how you're more important that how you're more gifted as a leader than the next person, how you deserve it more than the next person, and humbly serve one another. He wants them to say, It's not about you. It's about those you serve. Stop thinking so highly of yourself and start thinking about who I can serve. If you think what gets us riled among ourselves as to getting along well with each other, it's often that we've taken offense because someone has mistreated us. Someone has spoken harshly to us, someone has spoken wrongly to us, someone has done something that has offended us, and we take offense, and then we break fellowship over that, and it harms the unity in the body. Instead of looking at ourselves and how we feel justified in taking offense, Jesus is saying, no. What you need to be looking for is the other person In which one of you, you could almost speak of this metaphorically, which one of those out there needs his feet washed. So, you're sitting at home, you're thinking sad thoughts, how you're not respected enough, you're not loved enough, you're not appreciated enough. People just don't see in you what you see in yourself. (laughs) What should you do? And here's the answer. It's as simple as this. Go serve someone. And I'm not kidding. This is exactly what he's saying. What is the antidote? You have a headache, you say, well, I'll just go take some aspirin or something. You say like, oh, I know how to take care of headaches. How do you take care of feeling sorry for yourself? How do you take care of feeling wounded? How do you take care of he wronged me and he hasn't apologized? How do you take care of that? And the answer Jesus gives is revolutionary in a sense because it's something we would not have thought of. He says, go metaphorically, wash somebody's feet, go help somebody. It's beautiful, it's humbling, and it's curative. It actually works. My wife and I have discovered this as if it is the best tonic possible. Go minister to some needy person And you will say to yourself, you know, I don't feel so bad anymore. I'm not focused on myself. I'm not hurting for myself anymore. I'm enjoying loving someone else as Christ has loved me and letting my love that Christ has given me flow through me as the Holy Spirit helps me minister to someone else. Verse 12, he says, So when he'd washed their feet, he'd taken on his garments and sat down. He, He said to them, This is just like a teacher. Do you know what I've done to you? And one of my frustrating things is when I think I've really hit the home run with my students, and I ask them, like, did you get it? Okay, now, repeat back to me the point. And it's like blank. And they they look down, and they're like, you know, like, uh, didn't work. And I'm going like, yeah, yeah, why am I a teacher? (laughs) Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, And you say, well, so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that word could be translated pattern, that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who... Is sent as is the one that is greater than him who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now there are churches that actually physically practice uh, the washing of each other's feet. not very common anymore. You might say, well, why does the church practice the breaking of bread? why does the church practice baptism? Why does the church generally speaking not practice, foot washing physically? And the simple answer is we follow the early church's example. The early church uniformly practiced baptism, uniformly practiced remembering uh, the Lord through the breaking of bread, and only intermittently and occasionally few groups washed feet and then it fell away. And so just by the history of watching the early church, We are taking from them the ones that we would consider to be the commands of our Lord to be formed as ordinances and those that seem to be more of a picture of what he would like us to do. He wants us to meet other people's needs self-sacrificially. He is about to give the ultimate sacrifice of meeting our greatest need which is forgiveness of our sins. He's about to go to the cross. In fact, that'll be tomorrow. And they are completely off target. And he wants them to say, how do I exemplify the love that Christ has shown me? I do this by meeting other people's needs at my personal sacrifice. In fact, since I watch these news programs that uh, put on these people that have these self-help kinds of things, and they have all these ideas as to how to eat better or exercise better or how to be 10% happier, I'll straight out tell you what Jesus is saying here about happiness. Happiness comes through obedient service to meet the needs of others. So if you're unhappy, there you have it serve someone else. This is what Jesus asked. He's asked us to obey you. He says, if I, your teacher and your Lord, your God, your savior is willing to do this for you, please do it for one another. I don't speak concerning all of you. I know whom I've chosen. In other words, it's no accident here. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. This, my friends, is a quote from Psalm 41, verse 9, in which David speaks of how his best friend and advisor, Ahithophel, has decided to cooperate with a coup and choose his son Absalom over David. And in Psalm 41.9, David writes, even my own familiar friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. The story's in 2 Samuel 16 and 17. It's great bedtime reading. Go home and read what happened in that tonight. And you will hear that Jesus, as the son of David, is saying, here we go, a person who For whom I have shown great honor, has been willing to lift up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. That's a very strong word, meaning that he was very agitated inside and testified, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So the disciples started looking at each other, perplexed uh, about whom he spoke. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. This is the obtuse way in which the author of this letter refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's a little coy about it. This is John, who, if you realize they lean on their left elbows, is right here, in front of Jesus as they lean on their left hip, left elbows. John is right here. Judas is right there. Peter is cool with John and says, lean back, which means all he has to do is lean back like this and turn his head, and you can speak privately to Jesus. Find out who it is. Simon, therefore, motioned to him to ask him of whom it was he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' bread, he said, Lord, who is it? And here's the funny thing, no one suspects it's Judas. In fact, if they're going to suspect anyone, they're going to suspect Peter. Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. The irony of this is in the ceremony, this is a sign of friendship and honor. And Jesus is going to, with great irony, give it to Judas. So, Having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, listen to these words, Satan entered him. Satan took control of Judas. He doesn't send merely a demon. Satan does this himself. And Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. In fact, you could translate it, do it more quickly. But no one of the table knew of what reason he said this to them. Some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. He walked away from the light of the world and went out into the darkness of sin." If you can sense the tenor of how this Passover meal is going, you can sense that the students aren't learning very well from the master teacher. And there's a struggle going on here. This is rough. This is difficult. And yet he leaves them with one of the most important exhortations found in Scripture. And he addresses it to them in such a way that we should take this as our marching orders. Verse 31. So when they gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. This will be revealed through his death. It's somewhat of an ironic thing that through his death he is glorified because it defeats Satan and makes it possible for the Father to forgive us. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately, through the resurrection and the ascension, for example. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I loved you, that you love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." In my neighborhood, uh, we have both Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons who come up and down our street regularly. You can tell them apart just by the way in which they dress. You can, you can see them. They're not normal in our neighborhood. They dress differently from all the rest of us in our neighborhood. They've been to my home many times. I think they've given up on me. They, they sometimes leave tracks, but they've stopped ringing my doorbell. But we as Christians are not to be known by the way in which we dress or how we seem strange to other people. We are to be known by the way in which we show our love." He calls it a new commandment. It's as old as the Old Testament. This commandment has been given since the beginning. But it's new in a new sense because it's based on the sacrificial love of Jesus. It's based on the empowerment that now comes through the new covenant, which will be accomplished when he dies on the cross. In the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, the command was given, but there was no empowerment that came with it. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, there is not only the command, there is actually the empowerment of the filling of the Holy Spirit coupled with a new spirit within us and a new heart given to us. And so He enables us to actually succeed in this, and since He calls it new, He says, In this new empowerment through the work that I'm doing on the cross, I give you a command. This is not a suggestion. It is a command. Love one another. As I have loved you, you also love one another. And by the way, that's how you prove you're real. That's how people will know you're truly one of my disciples, because they will see your love for one another. Jesus was the embodiment of God's love. And so now he's asking each of us as his disciples to embody his love. Christians' love and support for one another will enable them to survive in this hostile world that is seeking to ruin us. This sign tells the world who we are and to whom we belong. But it will require what took place earlier in the chapter, which is it will require humility. Because frankly, the people who need to be loved to us don't appear to be lovable or lovely or attractive to love. In the metaphor of washing each other's feet, none of us particularly cares for ministering to the other person's feet. It is something that's somewhat humiliating. And yet in the same way, it's not that the other person is so attractive to us. It's not that the other person is so winsome that we're drawn to them. It's because the other person needs The love of Christ flowing through us. And Christ wants to demonstrate His love as we are used, as His hands, His feet, His eyes, to show God's love to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to others in the whole world. They will recognize the truth of what we say because our love is unexplainable any other way. Think back at a person who's offended you somehow. Think back at a person who you would say, doesn't deserve my kindness. A person that you might say, I wish I had a better relationship with that person but frankly it's his fault that we don't have a better relationship. And say, if Jesus would have me wash his feet, metaphorically, would I be willing to do that? If Jesus would have me to reach out to that person, not to adjudicate the situation between us, to point out to him that it's his fault that our relationship is not better, but just to love him, as Christ has loved us, would that make a difference? Yes, it will, because that's exactly what Jesus has asked of us. It's a very hard thing to do if we're focused on, but I am an important person in Christ's kingdom, and I've won the argument over my peers. (laughs) Remember, they were arguing among among themselves which one of them is the greatest. But if we were to humble ourselves and follow the example of Jesus Christ and say, it's not my position to even wonder what my position would be in his kingdom. It's my role to serve others as Christ has served me. And the purity of that love and expression makes it possible for us to actually demonstrate the change in our hearts and to diffuse the difficulties between us and others and allow people to actually sense the love in our hearts. Whether it's the use of our money, whether it's the use of our time, whether it's the use of the strength of our back, whether it's the use of our tongue in what we say, whether it's the use of some of our possessions. May we not so hold so tightly to these, but may we give these things over to the Lord as tools to be used by him and say, Lord, impress upon me. How would I serve my brother in such a way that you would be pleased? Would you pray with me to that end? Father, we come before you and ask... Uh, humble us. It's not a request that we make lightly. We realize, humanly speaking, not one of us wishes to be humbled. And yet, spiritually speaking, we all need to be. And we all need to be willing to serve without thought of what we could get in return. And so, Father, each of us is now praying to you, asking that you would open our hearts with ideas and leading from your spirit as to whom, to whom we would reach out and how we would show that love. Oh, Father, the moment our pride rises up, point it out to us and remove it from us. Show us again the humility of your Son as he became one of us and died in our place. Oh, Father, help us to see other people the way you see them. Help us to see them as creatures created in your image, as people worthy of your love. So, Father, help us to prioritize the other person's needs above our own and so fulfill the law of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.